It's only transparent leadership if you always trust the process. Welcome to Trust the Process, a podcast on entrepreneurship from MIT's Trust Center. My name is Chris Burns, and I'm the host around here. Today's episode features Trust Center Executive Director Paul Cheek. Hi, my name is Paul Cheek. And Christine Shea, an entrepreneur in residence here at the Trust Center. Hi, my name is Christine Shea. Christine is also the founder of Day to Day, a health tech startup. In today's episode, Paul and Christine talk about transparent leadership, taking time for oneself, and the energy of the entrepreneurial journey. Let's get to it. I'm really excited because we're doing this right right here, right now, uh, rolling right on out of the T equals zero festival, which at the Trust Center is our festival of entrepreneurship. And it means the time is now. The time is now. We always say that the uh, hardest part of entrepreneurship is getting started. Christine, I'd love to kind of jump right into things and take a peek at what the start of your entrepreneurial journey looked like. Um, so tell me, uh, what, how did you get started? How did you get started with entrepreneurship? So Paul, honestly, I, I think that, you know, I've talked about how actually having a predisposition for entrepreneurship. <laughs> and I would actually say that I, I was just a bit of a rebel growing up. <laughs> and so I think that's one, really one of the ingredients to being an entrepreneur is that you don't want to do things maybe the way that you see the world doing them. And so, you know, my life's never really taken a linear path. I, I always jumped from different topics, you know, all throughout undergrad and graduate school. And so, you know, when I talk to students, I tell them, you know, explore your passions, like chase things that interest you, even if it's only for a summer. And that's what happened, you know, and I, what happened was that I, I went to graduate school here at MIT and um, wasn't really focused on my dissertation for my doctorate. And uh, well, you said you were a rebel, right? So, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I would fly around going to conferences and you were like, why are you always going to these exotic locations? You know, <laughs> you know I'm learning. Right. And, um, what happened was I ended up at some of these events um, around campus. Uh, one of them is called Hacking Medicine. Yeah. And uh, it was a great event um, fueled by a lot of junk food. And <laughs> um, met a couple people who ended up being co-founders later. And we didn't start at the time, but it was one of those organic things where four months later I got the email at like two in the morning saying, hey, I'm applying for this grant. Um, do you want to join me and try to start something? And, and, I, and I said yes. Well, that's amazing, uh, right? Uh, getting started, but also forming a team, which we believe is the most important part of the entrepreneurship success pie. Um, so, so that's just amazing. And uh, that's the team that wound up starting day to day. Is that right? Uh, well, that was the predecessor, actually. Um, so the, the team that started beforehand was for an organization. Uh, we called it Salubrious Analytics. And um, that actually included uh, another MIT student as well. Um, he was a a PhD from the C-Cell uh, com Computer Science, and so we we worked a lot with the MIT resources, you know, as you might imagine, and um, that went on eventually to become day-to-day, -day, which eventually went around the world, um, which I'm happy to speak more about. Yeah, we should definitely get into that. And, you know, it's interesting, nothing ever goes in a straight line. We pivot, <laughs> the team changes, the idea changes, 
And you mentioned that you leveraged some of the MIT entrepreneurship resources, which, which is amazing. There's a lot of them. Um, are there any in particular uh, that you might uh, reference? <laughs> so, you know what, honestly, the first the first thing that pops to mind when I think about the MIT resources is actually the breakout rooms <laughs> in Sloan. <laughs> but, but only because, you know, I can't understate the importance of actually being in the rooms together. And I know yeah. it's crazy during the pandemic time to be doing these things, but the whiteboard walls, but, you know, coming together and actually using them on a regular basis, consistently committing to your idea with your team, I think was really, really critical. You know, there's just so many moments when you don't know what you're doing, you know. Yeah, and some entrepreneurs might say they never know what they're doing and they're just going at it every single day. Um, but I think that is really, really important. You know, those those meeting rooms where you can sit down and on a regular basis have those meetings. Research does show that those who have the regular milestones and the meetings to check in on their progress towards them, they uh, tend to be more successful. So those meeting rooms are quite important. Um, but so over the course of the journey, we can talk about some of the highs and the lows that led that team to transform into day-to-day -day health. Um, the rest of the journey from starting day-to-day -day health, what were some of the highs and lows? How would you reflect on that journey uh, overall and, and you know, the, the peaks and the valleys? Yeah, you know, I think some of the highs is actually, you know, not all startups have like a good start, right? It can be rocky, you can be fighting. And, and I think day-to-day -day started with a bang. You know, we, we <laughs> really, you know, we, we kind of launched and four months later, we were already serving like open heart surgery patients. You know, and it was sort of this, I didn't get to go to India where we launched, but it was like this nervousness where you're like, okay, it's the first day. We got our first patients today. <laughs> like, did anybody die? <laughs> there was even a story from the very first week right after we launched and you can always think, oh, maybe something's gonna go wrong. And what happened was, you know, within the first three days, we had one of our nurses, you know, tell us back in Boston, you know, the, these patients are in India and the nurse called us and said, this just happened today. And what happened was she had picked up a medication error in the prescription where the dosage was 10 times higher than it should have been. <laughs> and she caught this. And it, if that you know, had gone through and the patient had followed those directions, they would have died. It, it was just, it was a crazy moment where we were like, three days in, we've already made a difference. Um, that's just amazing. Uh, and it must have made you and the rest of the team feel really, really good inside. Uh, three days in, and it's a, it's amazing what impact was to come. Uh, so thinking beyond those first three days, what else, you know, through the pandemic and even after the pandemic, uh, what are some of the other highs and lows that you and the team encountered that stick out in your head? Yeah, you know, even beyond just like a specific moment, I think some of the highs of the entrepreneurial journey is just like being with your team, you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, we, we went to London and it, the objective was sort of, you know, we're, we're looking for leads to how we're going to start in this country, um, partnerships, customers. But beyond that, we also did things like we went to have high tea, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just a, it, it was just a real time to, you know, it's work hard, play hard. Everything is really, really intense, but you have to find the ways to recharge, right? Yeah, and have fun, right? If we're going to spend so much time together, right? We, we think about the founding team. You're spending pretty much all day together and in many cases, all night together as well, uh, whether it's a long day or as you highlight, recharging together. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're going to go on this really long, really difficult journey together, then you may as well have some fun with it. So maybe let's let's double down on, on the team. Um, they're not always easy. I can think of a lot of examples for myself where 
you know, perhaps there were challenges amongst a founding team. Do you have any examples that you might share? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have two examples on two ends of the spectrum, the good and the bad, right? And my first team, actually, we we worked well, but up to a point. And what happened was we actually decided to separate as a team. And that, I think, can be like a terrible moment in an entrepreneur's journey where you're like, what's next? What do I do yeah. now? Do I, do I just stop too, or do I keep going? And I made the decision to keep going at that point. And it actually brought me to my second team eventually. And what was amazing about that was, um, you know, I think you start to learn what are you looking for in the team as you go through hopefully multiple entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journeys. And, um, you know, the, the next team was, you know, amazingly different. Um, I think that we still fought, but you know that's what good teams do, right? And I think that even now, many, many years later, I realize you know if we ever do a venture again, it's probably going to have even more fighting, but even more truth, right? Because now we are not afraid to actually tell the truth to each other. I think that's a hallmark of really strong leadership. It's tricky though, right? Because truth is can be really personal, and amongst leadership teams though it's kind of critical sure. i think this is where it's like do or die almost if you're not truthful let's say as a ceo about your doubts about whether the company is going to get through the next two quarters right um, if you're not truthful to your employees about you know when is that raise coming right yeah and it absolutely just, it creates these landmines um they require a lot of thought and i think they require a lot of fellowship amongst the leadership team right we shouldn't be trying to get through it as a solo solopreneur, <laughs> if you have a leadership team, you should really be leaning on each other. But um, I think that's one of the, the trickiest but most important parts of startup teams, startup leaders. And um, that's the only way they're really going to build that really cohesive company as well, is if you have, or at least my firm belief, is to have that transparency and truth through it so that you can all be facing the same battles together rather than fighting private ones. You know, when we think about who's the boss or, or who's running the show, calling some of the shots, you know, how do you think about that? What makes for a good uh, entrepreneurial boss, if you will? Yeah, you know, that's, I think that depends on, I think it morphs over time, right? Yeah. And so I think founding teams, you know, it's probably okay if you don't know who may be the CEO, right? Yeah. Um, I think you have to get there. And that's where it becomes really important, figuring out what your strengths are. What are you comfortable with? Where do you want to grow? And amongst your teammates, you all have to agree who's going to take on what roles. You know, there, there are companies, I think, where the leadership team is years in the making and they still don't know who's accountable for this or that, right? And I think that it's to the detriment of the rest of the company. And so any, any company that I would build at this point, I would absolutely want to have probably at least that organic evolution in the beginning, because I, I think it's also tough if you come in and you're like, I'm the CEO and I'm hiring this person and that person, right? It's yeah. just, it's hard to start a business when you don't give people this sense of equality, right? Like people usually don't want to just come in because they want to work for you, you know? I mean, maybe there's some people out there who anyone just wants to work for, but you know, it's got to be like buy-in um, on all sides. Yeah, everybody's got to kind of be on the same level uh, mm -hmm. on, on the, the battlefield, right? We're all going out and we're all putting in all the time, all the energy. And it's interesting how, uh, you know, some of that decision-making capability evolves over time, as you've highlighted. I think that organic nature of it is really important. Um, and so, you know, for you, what, what 
What have you seen in that evolution over the course of time? How has that evolved? Um, maybe specifically with day-to-day -day or if you have other examples. Yeah, you know, I had a kind of a funny role um, at day to day. I was actually asked to be the product officer to start. <laughs> and for reasons at the moment, you know, and how I was feeling, I, I sort of deferred that particular angle of working on the venture. And eventually I ended up with a role that people may not really know what it's for. And I actually, if you talk to a lot of strategy officers, I was actually strategy and research officer. Many strategy officers don't know what they're supposed to be doing either. They, they don't know what's the scope. Where does my mandate stop and start? And, and I think the reason is it's, it, it can be like you get special projects. It can be you're an operational leader. It can be you are helping with product, but maybe from like a differentiation point of view. And then mine was even weirder because it had like the, the entire data function within it, <laughs> as well as market strategy and clinical research. So I think there is a sense of like, role change occasionally when yeah. you have startups, um, which is okay because I think that as long as you're keeping in close touch with leadership on where are the needs for the company, does this still satisfy myself and what's needed? And I think you're in a good position. You just kind of, it's, it's an ongoing navigation though. And for you, uh, strategy and research, right? Yeah, I'm glad you give the explanation because it doesn't always land uh, when you hear that at first, especially within the context of a, of a startup. Um, so I think that's really interesting. So, and, and, and for you, you know, when you think about that team and how you evolved within it, you know, what type of an organization did you build within the broader company? Yeah, I think that <laughs> you know, internally, I'll, I'll admit something here. We called ourselves like, um, like the shop of misfits. <laughs> it was like, you know, I had someone That's from great. user experience and customer success. I had someone who had a unique marketing background, but like was building part of our product differentiation, right? It was, the organization was, it was kind of, um, you know, honestly, the mandate I was given in the beginning was help us navigate towards what we need to be doing in nine to 12 months, right? And so if you think about it, a company boiled down to its very essence is get customers, build product, yeah. right? This was, okay, you're not doing either of those. You're technically trying to help us see around the corners, right? And so I had to sort of essentially build out what that was going to look like, right? And, and so I think having the data function made sense because that was going to be integral to scaling. Yeah. The product differentiation, market strategy, that's the look ahead, right? And for us, the research, clinical research is validation in healthcare. And so that was sort of the, the long play, right? Saying, showing more and more evidence that this works, you know, that's effective. I wouldn't refer to them as misfits necessarily, but I like <laughs> that you do. And, you know, when you think about all those individuals, whether they were in customer success or they were um, in UX or they were data and data scientists or otherwise, you know, what are some of the characteristics of the, the good employees that really stand out to you? If you're to think back, you know, I actually, um, I, don't, I don't know if this was like characteristic of just being an entrepreneur or maybe some of the exposure I had here at MIT, but I really encourage them all to think about being individual entrepreneurs themselves. Yeah. You know, it's, I told them, I would do kind of team workshops where I said, imagine you have your own shop, right? And what's the product you're selling? Like, what are you selling to the rest of the company? And so it became more more about like really creating and building things versus, okay, this is my task, list of tasks for today, this is the projects I'm working on, and this is my quarterly review, right? We actually really wanted to people think outside of the box, think and think non-linearly um, about how they were gonna create outsized impact in the organization. 
And I think the people who were like flexible thinkers, who were kind of hungry for that growth, um, did really well. And um, you know, it it was just uh, something, with, and that was kind of like age agnostic, which was the great part, right? <laughs> you know, I had people who were um, two years out from their undergraduate degree and were amazing, and how well they contributed in talking to you know sales leaders who had twenty years of experience, right? Sure. Telling them how they should be looking at their customer data, right? And so that was that was really amazing to see. In organization. Yeah, and I, I'm really glad that you highlight that these individuals on your team were all entrepreneurs in some way, and that's how you encourage them to think about it. Because when you know we talk a lot about entrepreneurship, it's you know not necessarily just going and starting a company. It may be joining a startup. It may be going and applying the entrepreneurial mindset and skill set uh, within a corporate environment, within academia, within government, or otherwise. And I think that mindset of they're all like running a shop, they're all building, like that is amazing. And that's what all entrepreneurs really should be thinking about regardless of the context within which they are practicing entrepreneurship. I really, really like that. That's a great way of thinking about it. And really, if we go back to the root of how we teach entrepreneurship at the Trust Center, it's having outsized impact, right? You know, uh, creating value and capturing value and. Uh, using whatever means necessary to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, that all makes sense within the context of your team. And your team at Day to Day, um, you know, Day to Day at this point has had a, had a wonderful exit. What's next for you? <laughs> That's the big question, Paul. <laughs> and, and, you know, we don't all always have the answer to that, but I've got to ask it. Yeah, um, I'll tell you something. I was actually talking to um, another serial entrepreneur this morning, and he had a big ex exit as well. Um, and what he was saying was that you know the big thing that happens when you're an entrepreneur is you're, you're so heads down that you kind of, the world fades away almost, you know? <laughs> <laughs> except for the thing that you were focusing on. Sure. And and I think the the most precious thing now that I'm being told repeatedly to not take for granted is the time to look around and reconnect to the world. You do, you start to lose sight of what's around when you're so heads down focused on building the business. Right. And how long were you building day to day? Well, if you count the, the first startup, which kind of flowed into the second one, I think about nine years. Nine years, so. yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a long time to have your head, head down, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for you, thinking about uh, the community you're surrounding yourself with, um, you know, we can probably go back to MIT where much of this started. Uh, when you were here uh, in the HST program. HST is a unique program. Uh, this is the Harvard-MIT Health Science and Technology, and it's shifted a bit. You know, there was a school of medicine kind of developed, I think, uh, maybe after I had graduated. <clears throat> but it, it allows you to really connect with medicine, um, connecting engineering to medicine, and I think for me that meant bringing impact um, from a behavioral point of view, from behavioral medicine to, to people. And so that was, it was really precious because a lot of research doesn't get to make impact right away, right? I actually created new interventions during my time, during my dissertation. You know, I was, I wanted to do something different to treat anxiety and depression. The, the genesis to that was actually because I was, the formal program I was training in was actually called Speech and Hearing Biosciences. And since I was interested in working on people, I actually was thinking, okay, cognition, people, like music is probably the closest I can get to hearing. And it was really literally kind of as organic as that. And so I was thinking, okay, music, how can this make an impact on people, right? And so it brought me to mental health and behavioral medicine. And so I was thinking, 
people hate formal therapy so much. What if we are able to bring their music into it? And, you know, music therapy is actually a field out there, but I was trying to see what if you bring in personal music to treat depression and anxiety? And how do you break down the pieces of music, you know, active components, if you will, like just like there's active ingredients to a drug, right? That you can then apply to depression and anxiety in a meaningful and therapeutic way, but it's also going to take care of the stigma issue because mm. people don't have stigma around listening to music typically, right? So we were we were doing things like testing, you know, what level of choice in the music that you're selecting would give you better sense of control and could have some therapeutic benefit versus like if I make you listen to like an audiobook from like Chicken Soup from the Soul or something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I had a bit of fun with that. Um, yeah, it was it was just really exciting to see that. You know, when you think about that, it's not something that you commercialized um, that I'm aware of. Uh, is that something, though, that you could see a path to commercialization for? Well, so actually, I think some other people did. Uh, Amazing. Not with my research, but <laughs> that Generally. is, there are companies, yeah. Um, I think shortly after I graduated, I was just seeing these personalized music companies pop up and, um, you know, some right here in Boston even. Yeah, and it, it's just interesting to me to think about how can we take some of that research and, and find paths to the market. Um, because thinking about the impact that you can have, that's, you know, one of our current themes at the Trust Center is if you take X and you add entrepreneurship, that mm -hmm. equals impact. And, you know, you even referred to the impact that you had at day-to-day -day health within the first three days, yeah. right? And so for all of this research that's happening, healthcare or otherwise, how can we make sure that there are uh, uh, means to bring it to market? Um, you know, regardless, that's, you know, something that I think we're really passionate about making happen here at the Trust Center and super excited to have you on board, uh, mainly to bring a healthcare lens to help any student entrepreneur at MIT uh, who's working across industries. And you know we're excited that you've joined us uh, into the Entrepreneur in Residence program. Uh, that program being one that brings individuals who've seen the highs and the lows that you've already highlighted for us here today uh, of their entrepreneurial journey uh, the, the real world experience having started a venture and brings that expertise to students across MIT uh, from the Trust Center to help them as they explore the different resources that are available on campus, as they begin the ideation phase and mm -hmm. forming their first founding team, whatever uh, fights they might get in, <laughs> uh, and then also helping them to chart a, a path forward. For some, that might mean regular mentoring. For some, that might mean hosting them in our programs. Mm -hmm. And for others, uh, helping them with their first hire, yeah. helping them raise that first, second, third round of funding, uh, or figuring out how to manage their board when their board <laughs> wants to manage them. Uh, thinking about all these different challenges that they are to encounter. And you know that's why we're really excited to have you joining as an entrepreneur in residence at the Trust Center. What excites you about joining this program? I know you've already begun meeting with uh, uh, students from across campus. Yeah, how's it been so far? Uh, you know, it's just amazing. I, I've been working with students for a long time, and that was everything from you know grade school tutoring to some of some of them actually ventures, right? And. I was always missing like a real formalized framework and, you know, and then lo and behold, right, you know, we have the Martin Trust Center and Discipline Entrepreneurship and this framework is there growing, you know, expanding across the world and has been really valuable already everywhere. And I just thought, how great is it that I can actually plug into that 
and really be a part of bringing it more to healthcare as well. You know, I, I think in one thing that happens actually um, that I remember from my graduate school days is that when you're thinking about impact, you're kind of given only really two paths. And one is, okay, you do this research, um, and then maybe you go into industry and do research, or you become a professor, um, or you can become a doctor. <laughs> okay, and so there, it wasn't actually a path, right? Like building business and entrepreneurship was never presented as a path, really. Sure. And I think it's time to really expose that as a real path. I'm really excited to present, you know, entrepreneurship as an opportunity and to provide the resources for in an educational manner, right, for it to be an option. Yeah, and it absolutely is an option. Um, and what's exciting is seeing students who may be conducting research all day, but then coming to new enterprises or to one of our other entrepreneurship classes mm -hmm. and see them exploring this entrepreneurship side of it. And so, you know, for students who might be listening to this, uh, how can you help them as they begin the process of exploring entrepreneurship? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone in any stage, right? And, and so requests can be anything from, I don't know what to do in my career next, right? Yeah. <laughs> to I have, you know, four different venture ideas, like can you help me pick one to, you know, people want to give me funding already. And like, what should I do tomorrow, right? <laughs> it's, um, it's all fair game. Um, I think that I've been in all these different boats at various degrees. I'm, I'm, I think that more importantly, you know, I want people to know that it's not, you're not closing doors. Really, when you make one choice, the door is never really fully closed, right? And so also sometimes it's just to give that reassurance that it's not as high pressure a decision as they might think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some of the little things that we decide today that, you know, may have some impact on the, the, the future of our venture, they're, they're not uh, make or break decisions, uh, not the small ones anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But uh, you and the rest of the EIRs are all here ready, waiting, and willing to help uh, any student across campus at MIT as they go and begin the process of building their businesses. Uh, that's what we're super excited about. That's what we're here for. Uh, and you know, for us, this is uh, one of our unique selling propositions, uh, both the EIR program, also the fact that we're all honest brokers, that you know, we've, uh, we've made a statement that we will never take a piece of a student's mm -hmm. business, whether it's as individuals or the center. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, for students here, this is their opportunity to get uh, that support they need in the uh, quite challenging journey uh, for each of them. Uh, with that, we're super excited to have you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Well, that's it for another episode of Trust the Process. This has been a production of the Martin Trust Center for MIT Entrepreneurship, located in Cambridge, Massachusetts. This show is edited and produced by me, Chris Burns, with special help from Craig Weimer. All of our music was written by Will Leet. We record live in a Trust Center conference room, so you might hear some students in the background. Come again soon.